Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach about the influence of Joseph in Egypt and how through Joseph, the Lord Jesus Christ built his church. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Father, you are the great God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And as we say those names, Lord, we think of your interaction with each one of them. Abraham, you were the God who brought him out of Ur of the Chaldees. Isaac, the God who protected him from the Philistines who stopped the wells. Jacob, the God who began to build your people, Israel, and protected him all through his life with Laban, with Esau, and even with the facing starvation to what we're going to consider a little bit today. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your great love to them and to us. Speak to our hearts now as we open your word to study more of who you are, what you did. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you follow along here in Exodus chapter 1, and I'll start reading, just so we get a context of this particular passage here, and we can, again, immerse ourselves in the middle of it as we read. Exodus 1, verse 8. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them. Lest they multiply, and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of the one was Shifra, and the name of the other is Pua. And he said, When you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then you shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. And the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, Why have you done this thing and have saved the men children alive? And the midwives said unto Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively and are delivered ere the midwives come in unto them. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses. And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born ye shall cast into the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive. 
what a wonderful stage that we've been brought onto here, been able to observe and all around us as we've read this passage. In our last study, we saw how there were parts of the history of Egypt that the Egyptians found convenient or necessary to erase. For they erased these parts out of all of their historical records. These were very, very important sections in the history of Egypt because this was the sections where it told about the Egypt at this time was under the dominion and under the leadership of a Jewish man, a non-Egyptian man named Joseph. This was the period in Egypt's history when they faced the most severe threat that it had ever known, a tremendous drought that lasted for seven long years. This was the amazing section of their history where a man who Pharaoh accurately said was not like any other man in Egyptian history because this man was filled with the spirit of the living God. And filled with the spirit of the living God, this man predicted accurately that not only was the doomsday of Egypt around the corner of the seven years of drought. This is a country, as we've seen in our last studies, that absolutely survived on the Nile, on the overflowing of the Nile. The Nile for the Egyptian people was like the breast milk of a mother to a baby. No milk, baby dies. No Nile overflowing, Egypt dies. And so this man accurately predicted the doomsday of it all, the seven years of terrible drought, no overflowing of the Nile, no milk for the people of Egypt. But this man predicted how to survive the doomsday because this man predicted that there would be a chance for the Egyptian people to prepare and to prepare in such a way that they would survive during seven years of plenty. And the amazing thing about this part of the Egyptian history was that all of these predictions of the doomsday of seven years and the opportunity to prepare and survive was all given by God in a dream to the Egyptian pharaoh. But the Egyptian pharaoh found himself absolutely helpless and unable to understand the dream that he knew came from God and he knew was very, very important. I mean, when I just describe this right now, what a drama of Egyptian history and all this was taken out of the record of the Egyptian history. People that gave themselves to recording their own history and making sure that their own history was recorded 
Forever, they thought, as they wrote it down in hieroglyphics, they painted it on the walls, they engraved it into stone, their history. And this was such a dramatic, marvelous part of their history that involved God and their Pharaoh and a prisoner and their salvation and their preparation and their wisdom that other nations in the world did not have. What Joseph brought into Egypt was not just a national rescue from doom. This was another part of their history that's so amazing. Joseph, this slave in the dungeons of Egypt, brought to Egypt a rescue from the eternal doom because this man, Joseph, he brought to Egypt God. He brought into a land of darkness, a land of idolatry, the light of the knowledge of God. And Joseph's influence was so great over Egypt. And this is a part of their wonderful history that was expunged, that was erased, that was taken out by fools. But we can see Joseph's great influence over Egypt. When we look back in Genesis, in chapter 43, we get to see a vision that's unbelievable. We get to see a glimpse and an understanding of exactly the impact that Joseph brought to Egypt. Joseph was the greatest thing that ever happened to the land of Egypt. And we see it in the life of the Egyptian steward of Joseph's house. And that's what we get to see in Genesis 43. And turn to that if you would. Genesis chapter 43 in verses 19 through 23. This is a marvelous, marvelous thing that we get to see here. And as you're turning to it, We want us to really get into the scene, get into the place where this occurred, get into the mind of this person who's the Egyptian steward in Joseph's house. What do we find? Genesis 43, verses 19 through 23. This is a scene where Joseph's brothers, who are still alienated from Joseph, not reconciled to Joseph, who are still thinking that they are the ones who have been responsible for doing away permanently with Joseph. Boy, doesn't that remind us of the Lord Jesus Christ and the people of Israel. But anyway, this is a scene here where the Egyptian steward is speaking to Joseph's brothers who are absolutely going crazy with fear and anxiety because they gave their money to the prime minister who they didn't know was Joseph. And this Egyptian steward orchestrated, without their knowledge, that their money was put back into their sacks of grain. And so that as they left Egypt and they discovered within their sacks of grain the money that they had paid, And they were so nervous, told their father about it, and now they're returning back because they need more grain. 
And as they're returning back, they're so nervous about the fact that they found their money that they had paid. And now the Egyptian steward of Joseph's house now speaks to them in this passage here in Genesis 43 and says these words. They came near to the steward of Joseph's house, and they communed with him at the door of the house and said, Sir, we came indeed down at the first time to buy food. And it came to pass when we came to the inn that we opened our sacks and behold, every man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight, and we have brought it again in our hand. And other money have we brought down in our hands to buy food. We cannot tell who put our money in our sacks. We get the picture. They have lived with the anxiety for all this time since the moment they found the money in the sacks of grain, that money that they had used to buy the sacks of grain the first time. And on their way back to Jacob, they found the money. They told Jacob, they worried and worried and worried about it because Simeon was kept there bound during the time. And how could the family of Jacob and his brothers really enjoy the newly acquired food that they had, knowing that their brother Simeon was in a prison laying there in Egypt And the heart of the father and the heart of the brothers yearned for their brother Simeon. The father thought Joseph was dead. The brothers thought that Joseph was gone forever. But they yearned for their brother Simeon. And they worried about the fact that the money that they had brought to buy the first amounts of grain, they found again. And it looked like they tricked this man, this prime minister. It looked like they tricked him. Because it looked like they got the grain and then it looked like they had stolen their money back. And they worried about it. And the grain ran out. And Joseph was sure during all that time when they were back there in Canaan eating that grain, he was on his knees praying to Jehovah Jesus for his brothers. And oh, that they would be reconciled not only to him, but more important that they would be reconciled to God and come into the knowledge of the forgiveness of their sins, all that running through his mind. But yet, Joseph was patient, waited. Time came, grain ran out, and they returned. And I'm sure that we know that when when Joseph heard, your brothers have returned, that he turned back up to God and just said, I knew you would. I knew you'd bring him back. I trusted you. I trust you. You brought them back. Thank you, God. And he brought them back. And here they are. But now they're all full of anxiety. And it says that they just stand there at the door of the house. And the steward, the Egyptian steward of Joseph's house is out there and they're talking to him. And they say, We found the money. We didn't know how it got here. Honest, really, we didn't know. It just was here. We don't know who put this money in our sacks. You know what the amazing thing is, was? 
The Egyptian steward was the one who put the money in the sacks. But they've spoken now, and now it's time for the Egyptian steward to speak. He'll speak now. And that's where we focus in on. And we listen very carefully now as we come to verse 23, Genesis 49, 43, verse 23. And we come and we watch carefully what the steward says because we are going to have a window into what Joseph was doing there in Egypt because of what the Egyptian steward said to Joseph's brothers. And this is what he said, verse 23. And he said, peace, shalom, peace be unto you. Fear not your God and the God of of your father hath given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Now, and he brought Simeon out unto them. What this Egyptian steward said was nothing less than astounding. It's just astounding what he said. First, he spoke like a man who knew the Lord Jehovah Jesus personally. Because when Jehovah Jesus came later, thousands of years later, and he was revealed as the Lord Jesus Christ, he said in Luke 24, 36, and as they spake, as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, peace, shalom, peace be unto you. Another place, Jehovah Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, spoke in Luke 12, 32, and he said to his disciples, Fear not, little flock, for it is your, your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And this Egyptian steward says to them from the very same words, he says, Peace be to you. Fear not, your God. He knew, the Egyptian steward knew the God of all peace. He knew the God whose words were so often, peace, fear not. How did he know this? How could he know this? This is the question. He knew this because he had been influenced by the one who knew the God of all peace and the one who said, Peace, fear not. The one who knew Jehovah Jesus, Joseph. He had been influenced. And then this Egyptian steward, this Egyptian man, speaks to the brothers of Joseph of your God and the God of your fathers. Now, it's so interesting. And there's a couple of angles we could look at this from. But one of them that's very interesting is that As for the brothers of Joseph, they were far from their God. They were far from the God of their fathers. The God of their fathers was not the God of of killing Joseph. He was not the God of, of lying to the father. So they were very, very far. Their iniquities, like it says in Isaiah 59, their iniquities had separated between them and their God. And they were far from him. But the Egyptian steward was not far from God. And the Egyptian steward, the Egyptian Gentile, the Gentile, the Gentile believer came to the Jewish non-believers, 
The Gentile saved man came to the Jewish lost men and brought them the knowledge of their God. Now that's a picture of Jewish evangelism for us today. Because what we do as believers, whether we're Jewish or for the most part Gentile, saved Gentile believers, we go back to the lost tribes of Israel, the lost, unsaved Jewish people, and tell them about their God. Just like God said in Isaiah when he says, Lift up your voice, be not afraid, say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. And that's what we can see here in this Egyptian steward. He was lifting up his voice, he wasn't afraid. He was saying unto, in this case, the brothers of Joseph, behold your God. So when he says these words, your God and the God of your fathers, he's saying, behold your God. And that way he, he introduced God to them, your God and the God of your fathers. That's how the Lord Jesus, the Jehovah Jesus, always introduced himself when he identified himself in the book of Genesis. When, when, when Jehovah Jesus identified himself to, to Isaac, he said in Genesis 26, 24, and the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, thy father, fear not, for I am with thee and will bless thee and will multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's sake. See how he identified himself? He said to Isaac, I am the God of Abraham, thy father, fear not. That's how Jehovah Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, Jehovah Jesus identified himself to Jacob. Jacob, when Jacob was there and he had left his father's house, and made those rocks for his pillow. And there he had the vision in his dream of the ladder being sent up between him to heaven and angels ascending and descending in that place, Jacob's ladder as we call it. And there it says when Genesis 28, 13, when the Lord Jesus, the Jehovah Jesus, went at that time to identify himself to Jacob, what did he say? Genesis 28, 13, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed. Calling God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, was the special identification that God used to identify, to introduce himself. That was God's calling card. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it means a lot because when you say that he is the God of Abraham, immediately the whole history of Abraham and his interaction with God comes in full uh, uh, full color view in our minds. Oh, the God of Abraham, we know who he is. When he says he's the God of Isaac, immediately we get the, 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 the history of the timid Isaac and the great God of Abraham and Isaac in view 
when he says he's the God of, of Jacob, oh, the chapters, we go from one to the other. Jacob's life is trouble here, trouble there, trouble there. God saving him here. God saving him there. And what a, a plethora, what a, a, a spectrum, a kaleidoscope. Of, of different chapters we get there of the wonderful way in which God saved Jacob, God of Jacob. So when God appears on the scene and he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's crystallized right there to immediately we know who he is. That's God's special calling card. So calling God the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, calling God your God and the God of your father was very, very special for this Egyptian steward to say that. Clearly, we ask the question, we ask this question, how did this Egyptian know this special calling card of God? How did he know this special designation for God's identification? How did he know that? Clearly, there's only one answer. There's only one answer. There's only one way for this Egyptian steward to have known this special calling card of God, this special identification. And what was it? Joseph. Thank you for joining us today. Now, do you have a question that you'd like to have Tom Cantor answer biblically? Well, Tom Cantor can help you with that, and we might even use it on the Friendship with God radio program. Just submit your questions by emailing Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's Tom Cantor, T-O-M-C-A-N-T-O-R, at friendshipwithgod.org. And Tom Cantor might answer your question on one of the programs of Friendship with God. So submit your question today by emailing Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor and Israel Restoration Ministries on Facebook, and you can receive a daily devotional verse from Tom Cantor. Now today's message and previous messages are available for free listening and download at our websites, friendshipwithgod.org or israelrestoration.org. If you have any questions, call us at one 800 247 3051. Thanks for listening.